Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's that time of the week, folks. We're going to have some guests over in an indirect way. And you may be one of those guests, dear fellow conspiracy realists. We are going to have... Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to talk about some shady FEMA exercises. We've got multiple shout outs uh, to a lot of people who are very concerned about a dystopian evil bill that uh, almost came to fruition in Massachusetts. I uh, can't wait to scare, scare ourselves with that one. Uh, and before we do any of that, let's talk eggs because we had so many great responses from our egg spiracy episode and it was one of those things where we we hit a nerve i think in a very good way uh, because we did our best to present the uh, the facts of what is being proposed as a conspiracy theory and how mm-hmm. it spreads on social media we asked for you know we had one correction with um m RNA, uh, and we handle that in another episode. And then we had a ton of people writing to us 
from the U.S. and abroad who have been raising chickens for um, a fairly short amount of time or for a very long time. And everything you were saying agreed with what we were talking about and confirmed it for us regarding uh, the intervening variables, we called them, but the natural mm-hmm. cycle of laying eggs. Uh, so yeah. that made my day at least. For sure. I mean, there were multiples that we discussed that we were kind of just conjecturing a little bit um, based on what we kind of do know, you know, from like science class in school. Um, but it turns out, you know, if, if you maybe caught our uh, social media video where I'm cowering in the background of a chicken coop while Matt uh, bravely, in my humble estimation, interviewed a uh, chicken uh, he called himself a chicken dad, I think, uh, mm-hmm. about just the, kind of the natural cycle of laying habits, laying, you know, um, behavior. And he pointed out that uh, chickens spend a good portion of this particular period that where all of this egg spiracy stuff has been reported molting and that when they molt, uh, a.k.a. shed feathers and grow new ones, um, that is like bodily energy again i'm not a chicken scientist here that's being used in instead for the that process instead of laying eggs um and we had a really kind of confirming email response uh to that from barefooted cowgirl uh subject of the email eggs starting off barefoot cowgirl here chickens always back off laying in the winter which is what we are in the midst of. Uh, One factor is daylight. I always left a heat light on over the waterer, which served to keep the water wet when it got cold uh, and also provided more light so they laid more eggs, but they naturally lay fewer in the winter. I am sure temperatures are part of it too. The price of eggs goes up in the winter. Then spring comes. Days are longer, and by Easter... Eggs are dirt cheap in the stores. Uh, Maybe these new backyard chicken owners don't know this. We had avian flu here, and it takes a few months for chicks to mature and begin laying. If you kill a few million chickens, it's going to take a few months to get production back to scale. And there aren't enough eggs in the system to replace millions of layers all at once. I went to Walmart. I do that about once a year. Last summer, and the entire egg shelf was bare. My locally owned regular grocery store always had eggs, though. Different suppliers, different customer behavior, not my field of expertise. I am sure large poultry farms are developing better avian flu precautions. Chicken farms are hatching eggs and chickies are maturing and the days are getting longer. The price will go down soon. Not to say there wasn't some opportunistic price gouging. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Also, chickens use a crop to digest feed and you need to feed them something like gravel, oyster shell, or egg shell so they can digest grain. Sounds weird, but they need it. Spring is coming, BFCG, Barefoot Cowgirl. Uh, this is adding to the perspective that we already just kind of went over. Um, but I think the takeaway here is that a lot of this alarmism is manufactured, hmm. whether for political reasons or the kind of news cycle reasons we were talking about before, like giving, creating a problem to blame on the opposition, maybe. But It would seem to me, based on what we talked about um, with our chicken dad and what Barefoot Cowgirl has to say here, that these are very natural ebbs and flows to the laying cycle. I think so. At least that's one of the things that I've seen. We keep getting messages like this that confirm it. Can I tell you my big takeaway from this message? Oh, yeah. Guys, 
it's the thing we've talked about in the past recently because of Christmas too. Economic motivation for large-scale holidays. Mm. Uh, Barefoot Cowgirl talked about during Easter, that's like all the way up into Easter, that's when the most eggs are being laid. So how Mm -hmm. do we sell all those eggs? We connect them to a holiday where families are going to buy way more eggs than they normally would to consume. Pumpkins, turkeys, see also. Dude, that's, that's what's up. I'm sorry. That's all I, that was my only oh, no, real you know, takeaway. What's interesting you say that, Matt, that hit me because one of the reasons I sounded punchy on some recent recordings was because I was, I was traveling and a lot of that time was in Japan. And it hit me how that country is so efficient with that. Every town has like a special festival, right? Or region. And they have, you know, uh, specific agricultural products often where it's like, no, you go here and you buy this at this time because they're in season. And I was thinking how brilliant that is economically. It's weird because I kind of cast, I've cast dispersion on it in the past. We're talking about U.S. stuff, you know, like, oh, this holiday is just made up to make sure that company A sells a bunch of greeting cards. I don't think anybody has a hard time guessing who company A is in that regard, but Walmart. Right. But it seemed like Sorry, it would, I had a thing uh, in my esophagus. No, no, no. You know, the um, the organic human uh, vocalizations we do on this show, they're kind of a, a hallmark of hey, stuff they don't want you to know. Right. A bit of and a harbinger can, <laughs> of the apocalypse. Ah, yes. And you can find them at Walmart. <laughs> and so, Indeed. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's strange, and you know you see this in other countries and cultures too, right? The thing about this is all the letters that we received, which were excellent, uh, were ten, tended to point out, as you said, Noel, some commonalities. And one of those one of those commonalities was the conspiracy that we found most plausible in the conspiracy episode was the idea of price gouging, as Barefoot Cowgirl says, opportunistic actors, and. About 90% of the letters we got uh, were people saying yes, pointing out the weather, um, pointing out molting and things like that. Uh, And then often toward the end of their letters, they were saying, and yeah, price gouging, totally. Because I I don't remember I told you guys, but I think I did. But when I was out of the U.S., price gouging on eggs, not a thing, like Hmm. whatsoever. You know, we also found, I think... That with the, you know, during the pandemic, it become it became much more popular to keep chickens in your backyard as an, like a family, right? Or as an mm-hmm. individual, keeping just a small group of chickens for egg laying purposes, it was more popular. So, so I'm imagining there are more less experienced people keeping chickens. So then when, you know, the new season comes around and it's the first time you've gone through that season with your new chickens, maybe you literally just don't know some of these basic facts that uh, some of the veterans know. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it also made me wonder, uh, <laughs> actually, a few of our fellow conspiracy realists bought this up too, uh, Matt and Noel. They talked about baking bread. That was another big habit, but it had that internet backlash pretty quickly. You know, people were going on Twitter or whatever and saying, if I see one more person <laughs> baking bread, <laughs> uh, bread. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i i have to ask did you guys uh did you guys ever consider raising chickens or have you i've never uh, baked a chicken in my life <laughs> you've baked tons of chicken no no, no i'm sorry I've, I've, <laughs> I've baked a chicken i've not baked a bread and i would not consider raising chicken thank oh you very God. much and good day sir that you know, makes sense 
it would bring me personally so much joy. I told you my joy. girlfriend used to. Did I tell you my girlfriend raised chickens in her previous life? I was and not aware She of had that. Martha and Snoop were her, were, her, were her like roosters or whatever. You did tell me that. You did tell it me that. It would make her really happy. I just would not be able. You know what though? It's it's like boiling a crab, you know, where like if you do it gradually, maybe I would, I could go from standing in that <laughs> pen with you to eventually watering and feeding the chickens and not even being scared anymore. No, dude, you'd be sitting cross-legged with them and uh, just letting yeah. them hang out. <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I, grew, I grew up interacting with, with lots of animals and chickens were some of those. And I think the thing that got me the most was it was a rite of passage. I was probably too mm. young for this. It was a rite of passage to have to kill one and process oh, it. Yeah. And that changed, that changed the way I looked at it. So maybe psychologically for you, that could be... Um, uh, an inflection moment, and you'll realize really that you do have the power in that relationship. No, you're you're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Just wring I their mean, neck at any time. Can. No, I mean you're, you're totally right. A lot of uh, childhood fears or like deep seated fears, they only remain that. And, and things that actually affect you because you don't address them head on. And I think most people would be surprised at how able they are to get past those fears. But they're I just mean, so used to the stasis of that fear that they don't bother ever like testing it, you know? I mean, I, I hear you, man. And I'm fully aware that there are some Rubicons that I simply could not cross. Like the Synesthesia stuff just makes touching metal and cardboard insane and i'm never gonna get i'm never gonna get over it because i can't kill it like a chicken you know i can stomp on the box and toss it into a wishing well (laughs) yeah right i've lost countless wishing well opportunities because i'm like yeah oh you do it but the but the egg thing also i think it brings us to something we surprisingly didn't talk about much on expiracy which was the importance of self-sufficiency that's the motivation that a lot of people uh, had And, you know, it wasn't too long ago in this country when many people in the United States were raising chickens or had garden plots on their home, not because they thought it was a cool hobby to flex on Instagram. It's because they had to do it to survive. And civilization is never as far away from that moment as a lot of people in power want it to appear, right? That's because right. you want stability and safety. So, I, I like we've talked in the past about things people have done to pursue self-sufficiency, not even crazy get off the grid stuff, but things like I'm going to have a rain barrel. It'll help with irrigation. And they've still run up across like municipalities that say, no, you can't steal the water. What are you, Nestle? Oh, well, yeah. Even like having, you know, going solar, you, know, you have yeah. to kind of get permission to do that. And then there are programs where you kind of like. I mean, I know this is technically a benefit to those that, that have the, you know, it's like a tax write-off or something, but you can sell excess power back to the grid, I believe, but you still can't just do it in a vacuum. You might be able to, quote unquote, get off the grid, but you're still part of the grid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They want you plugged in, but which is the most paranoid sounding thing uh, we saw on the show recently. But, but with I don't this- think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think so? Yeah. It's tough to tell at this uh, point, but- it also makes me really curious, uh, and something I think our our fellow listeners can share here is what are some simple self sufficiency tips that you know of that won't break the bank, won't get you in court, won't make you seem crazy. You know, it could be it can be little stuff like how much food do you have on hand, or you know, what's your bug out plan? Well, that gets some people might say that's crazy. 
Matt's saying no. No, Matt's I think it's just pull it out uh, his responsible. It's responsible. <laughs> we already yeah, talked about this, guys. The bug out bag in the trunk looks like a murder kit when a police officer opens your trunk. Can we also just maybe rebrand it? Bug out bag? That just sounds a little on the crazy side. Yeah, if we called bag. it preparedness satchel, perhaps, that would mm-hmm. that would be a little better. Boy Scout bundle. There you go. Yes. Thank you. You win. No, ding, ding, no, ding. it's not a contest. We got to be ready. Oh, it's, all, it, it's all. always a, it is a contest, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I'm not playing. But the uh, but the the idea. Yeah, Matt. No, that is a good point. You have to have things in there that in the wrong. You, you know what? It's like seeing somebody buy stuff at a grocery store and watching their little items go down the line and starting to build a backstory about them. Right? 100%. The only thing that makes going to the grocery store like fun and, and relatively <laughs> not crazy making, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I don't know. I like going into grocery stores that are specific to a community or specific to a type of like generally acknowledged diet, you know? Like uh, we've got great grocery stores here, like farmers markets and H Mart and stuff like that. I like walking into those places just on vibes. Not oh, knowing I what do. I'm doing. No, I'm, I'm, you know? I'm saying this mainly speaking for people like my partner who can't stand going. I go four times a week for fun because I like to, yeah. you know, buy for a recipe, you mm-hmm. know, not just stock up for the winter. Oh, I'm getting fresh rosemary. I, I'm, I'm going to use it tonight. I feel so European. Yeah. I love Honestly, right if I you. buy too much at one time, most of it will go bad. Oh, like, yeah. That is just how my brain works. I guess we should bring it back to eggs. What other... What non-chicken eggs are people messing with? Are emus in the mix? Is there... That would be considered probably an exotic egg. Yeah. Because we, we talked about even on the episode, you can you can find quail eggs at your local Publix or Kroger or whatever the, you know, the equivalent of that is in your neck of the woods. Mm. Um, and that was, would not have been the case years ago. That would have been exclusively in the realm of like, you know, bespoke kind of like specialty food stores. Duck eggs. Duck eggs. Yeah. I love, and a duck egg. Oh, you know what I saw? I actually, this is actually really appropriate. I saw a thing on Instagram. Uh, there are egg buffets in Japan. Yes. For raw eggs. Yeah. And you will get these eggs that are just like almost entirely yolk. And some of them are like, you know, chickens that are fed with like yuzu fruit and different peels and things like that. And it makes the egg taste like fruity and and you don't cook it it's raw over rice and that's the whole deal the whole bit man no thank you well it's how you raise them anyway (laughs) well that's the thing though whatever happened to concerns about salmonella have those gone out the window because now it seems like people are you know undercooking eggs and that's all just fine and dandy Mm -hmm. whatever happened to concerns about salmonella I think the pandemic just took up that mental space in people's heads. <laughs> That's you fair. know, like the part That's of fair. you that worries about sickness is like, forget the flu, forget salmon, uh, salmonella, you know, which was always a confusing name anyway. Don't forget salmon. You can't. They're salmon. hardcore. They swim upstream. Mm-hmm. I can't even do that. <laughs> Can you, listener? I think we need to move on to the next segment, guys. I think so. We'll take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then come back with more messages from you. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In July 1881, a man walked into a train station, pulled out a gun, and shot the president of the United States. James Garfield's assassination horrified the American people, and they wanted his killer, Charles Guiteau, punished. But Guiteau, many experts believed was insane. What had seemed like a black and white case was now much grayer. Could the justice system truly deliver justice in a situation like this? Guiteau's trial was extraordinary, but not unique. Important trials have always raised questions and made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and I'm exploring the stories of these trials in my new podcast, History on Trial. Every episode will cover a different trial from American history and reveal how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. All of a sudden, he says, Linda, I see a skull. Deep in the heart of the Ozarks, a mysterious disappearance turns into a grisly discovery. Two young women murdered. My name is M. William Phelps. For the past several years, I've been reinvestigating the cases of two young women abducted from their small towns, their bodies dumped deep in the Ozark woods, with a connection to one very familiar name. He chose his own moniker, bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. Cold cases I'm breaking wide open as a heated confrontation with an alleged psychopath ensues. Did you kill those girls? You've got all this information. Then why did you ask me if you already knew? Long-held secrets finally revealed, sending authorities rushing to confront a suspect who's been hiding in plain sight for decades. Listen to Paper Ghost Season 4 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we are back. We are heading into some darker waters with a lot of people to thank. Too many to name. In fact, I don't know about you guys, but I knew this story popped and actually made a note about it a while back because uh, I think we didn't get to it, but woke up uh, at sunset and there were all these messages from people who were incredibly freaked out to find the following story was real. It's very dystopian. Um, It hasn't happened, just so you know, just to take mental care for everybody. uh, What you're about to hear is didn't pass yet. But in late January, there was a bill proposed in the state of Massachusetts, which is commonly thought to be a pretty progressive state, Uh, And this bill said that if you were a prisoner in Massachusetts, you can get time off your prison sentence by donating your organs. It's cool. Like in advance of of your demise or like in the plea bargain. Yeah. You know, 10 years. uh, 
up the river or three years in a kidney. No, I, I don't know. I think it's people who are already in prison was the idea. No, no. I mean, donating your organs in advance of dying. Yes. Okay. So wait, are we just talking kidneys here? What other organs can be harvested in the Bone body? Marrow. Really? Bone marrow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And right now, the Federal Bureau of Prisons says that prisoners anywhere in the U.S. can donate organs while incarcerated, but only to immediate family members. You know, the concern being that there were uh, a red market would grow uh, if people were allowed to do it for money. Um, Can we just take a moment to say how red market is just so gross sounding? Yeah. It's like black market means illegal trade. Red market means trading in guts. Yes. Yeah. And we've got episodes on that. You can also check out our um, YouTube videos on that. It's disturbing stuff. It's very true. uh, And it occurs in horrific ways across the planet. You can find communities where an incredibly high amount of people in maybe a, a very impoverished village in South Asia have donated their kidneys for a a very small amount of money and it has become somewhat normalized. Yeah. Donated being sort of a a loaded term there. Right. Yeah. As ever. And we already know that there are prison systems that have problems with organ donation. The one that gets the most news in the U S is China and its subjugation of minorities in that country. And there are, you know, and you look at Falun Gong and they say that, um, just for practicing their belief system. Members have had their organs forcibly taken. This bill is called HD 3822. You can look it up now. An act to establish the Massachusetts Incarcerated Individual Bone Marrow and Organ Donation Program. Mm. Again, this did not pass. This is not, we're not dystopian yet. But check out how problematic this is. Taking like prison labor to like a new extreme, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah. It's taking prison labor to uh, a new extreme and it might be a harbinger of things to come. Check how problematic this is. And this is our response to everybody who took the time to reach out about this. The whole operation would have been headed by like each case would have been handled by a five member bone marrow and organ donation committee. Only one person on that committee is a prisoner's rights advocate. And this committee decides how much time of your life an organ donation is worth. So at the low end, you could donate like some bone marrow and get a couple months off your sentence. I don't know if that's a fair deal. No. Is it like tiered? Do you get more for bone marrow versus kidney? Do you get more for two for like, I mean, I guess you can't, you can't donate both. Can you, can you donate both kidneys? You can't, right? You'll die without any kidneys. Let's, That's you know what? My Let's understanding. check. <laughs> I think it's mine too. <laughs> Just making sure. Let's check. Um, no. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. That was my presumption. I just yeah, wanted to I make sure. I think it's a good yeah. presumption, yeah. Okay, you okay, know, cool. and actually donating organ parts, as we know from that, time I was trying to give away one of my eyes donate while you're alive not to a family member and just because you want to raises some serious red flags in the medical community right giving blood is fine you know Um, donating your hair is fine but uh, when you get to when you get to the other bits uh, people start to ask questions and 
this law, the good news is, folks, that this law was probably not going to pass anyway. A lot of nonprofits and policy wonks were weighing in and saying, this is probably going to be considered a violation of federal law because of Congress's National Organ Transplant Act in 1984. That makes it a crime to, quote, knowingly acquire, receive, or otherwise transfer any human organ for valuable consideration for use in human transplantation. So valuable consideration. Oh, okay. Like 180 days off your sentence. I see what you're saying. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yes. And then other people, like people are coming from all directions about this. Not, not just prison rights advocates or nonprofits. Uh, ABC pointed out that prisoners have tend to have a much higher group incidence of HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, tuberculosis even. And so their organs might not be safe. To transplant. I mean, presumably they would be tested. Mm-hmm. You, you, but, but we have heard, have, haven't we heard of cases, maybe more in the past, of people getting, say, blood transfusions that had not been tested and mm-hmm. were infected with some or, or multiple of those, uh, those things you're just talking about. And here's a twist. The bill's two sponsors were both uh, Democratic state representatives Carlos Gonzalez and Judith Garcia of Springfield and Chelsea, respectively. And they had a different rationale on this. And Garcia in particular was on Twitter saying the issue is that there is currently in Massachusetts no path to organ or bone marrow donation, even for relatives. So like even if you are incarcerated and you have a relative who could have a a potentially life-saving transplantation, then Massachusetts wouldn't allow it to happen. So that's where Garcia is coming from. And that's, and Gonzalez also related a personal story. He said uh, he has a friend who was hospitalized waiting to have dialysis three to four times a week while he's in line for a kidney transplant. He's a father of three children. He has stage four kidney failure. I'm thinking that this legislation can save lives, right? Even if there are some ethical quandaries, to say the least, bundled up in there. I don't know, though. What, what, what do you guys think about this? I mean, it doesn't seem like the right move, right? No, in my mind, instead of this, um, well, I don't know. Look, I'm not here to give the prison system answers for what they need to be doing right but it does feel like there's already so much labor going on in prisons right you could somehow incentivize through the labor and with actual money that is waiting for you at the end of your sentence or something like real a real paycheck that just you have to wait until your sentence is over it's like a pot that you accrue right or something like that um Mm. that feels like way better, a much better way of incentivizing somebody to, to better themselves in some way, however they can, however it's possible while within the system, right? Because I know mm-hmm. that's much easier said than done, but use that incentivizations instead of giving away some organs because we need a few more kidneys and, or, you know, bone marrow. Well, yeah. Yeah. And well said. I mean, Do we should through organ brokers though. Who, who, who profits from this? The people who receive the transplantations. Yeah. But I mean, there's no money changing hands. Like, 
You know, ah. we know about body brokers. We did that whole episode yeah. on that. So mm-hmm. I tend to assume when prisons outsource labor from prison population labor, somebody is benefiting from that monetarily. Yeah, I we absolutely have to do an episode on mm-hmm. prison labor. Uh, and we the state hope, prospers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the twist here, we're talking about the money, right, is that if a bill like this passes, let's game it out. Is it possible? that uh, legislators could be incentivized to impose harsher sentences? Would it help Mm. a judge add a little bit on to a sentence to say, you know, this incentivizes bone marrow transplant. I'm saving Mm. lives. You know, I'm giving you a chance to help for the greater good. Wow. Yeah. There's a non-zero likelihood of that happening shortly after a program like this comes into play. Yikes. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I mean, you could also start um, arresting people for terrorism. So arresting activists, you know, it has, it's worked for other governments in the past, right? You need to, you need a fresh supply of, uh, of some bits, some human bits. Uh, Whoa, I, don't I, I just got an image of, you know, because we're in the midst of World War Three. obviously we had some some pretty intense announcements from both the United States and Russia uh, as World War III continues to uh, to start, I guess is how you would say it. Uh, I just imagined prison systems being used as the blood supplies for troops. Like uh, instead of donating uh, bone marrow, it's just donating ooh. blood. Blood um, bags like a Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Yes. My blood boy. Oh, no, that was actually from Silicon Valley. You know, you're right <laughs> yeah. about blood, but I'm saying there was like a thing with mm-hmm. uh, Gavin, whatever his name is, who kind of was like the, you know, Mark Zuckerberg stand-in. He had like a dude, a young, virile man who would just hang out with him and do transfusions, and he was his blood boy. So what else could you donate? Partial liver, probably donate skin, right, for skin grafts. Mm-hmm. Um, but 60 days to a year or so off a sentence, it just it seems like it opens a really dangerous door. So regardless of what your philosophy is or your perspective is on the, the U.S. prison system and all its problems and the huge problems with organ donations and knowing how many people need organs to live and they're, they're just not going to get them in time. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever your perspective is on that, I think we can all agree that this is very bad and if stuff like this passes ever, then it sets a precedent, right? And if it survives for a little while, then it becomes normalized and it starts to occur in other parts of the country. And then it gets to the Supreme Court. And depending on the mood of the ring wraiths that afternoon, it may become federal law. Right? No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Oh my God, guys, then it becomes donate your eye. And we have this exchange program to where you're going to benefit, you know, this person who needs an eye transplant, a new eye. Uh, and you, inmate, you lucky you, you get to try out this brand new ocular implant that's being developed by Meta. Mm, <laughs> and we're going to test yeah. it. <laughs> well, it's not like we haven't seen that. We, we were just on My Mama Told Me talking about human experimentation. And how that was absolutely a thing in the past, and that was usually involving, you know, underrepresented communities and and uh, groups 
who's more underrepresented than prison populations? Is it outside of the realm of possibility that these types of things will just keep going further and further and further unchecked? I mean, it's always it's always a possibility. This thing had luckily been, oh, what's the political phrase they use? It had been walked back, right, after enormous public outcry. But it also leads us to another question. If you are incarcerated and you have the ability through an uh, organ donation or bone marrow transplant or what have you, you have the ability to save a relative, then shouldn't you be allowed to do so? Honestly, I think the main issue for this, with a lot of a lot of folks, myself included, is the Faustian bargain of it, the transactional nature, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then maybe there's the, I'll say it too, you could write laws differently uh, that could result in some people who shouldn't be out of prison getting out and saying, mm-hmm. you know, I just have the one kidney, but that's all I need to burn a house. <laughs> I mean, that's a hypothetical thing. Sorry. Hashtag not all arsonist or whatever. (laughs) Do you, uh, do you guys think this kind of legislation that if actually scrutinized is just abhorrent to, you know, a rationally thinking person, do you think that kind of legislation is just pushed forward every once in a while sporadically to test the waters of the public just to see like, what could we get through? Do you think we could get that through right now? I don't know. Let's test it out. Let's see what kind of numbers we get back. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> implies that the, the cosine of the public even matters at all. We know so much of that stuff just happens completely behind closed doors. So I don't even buy that it matters that it's legal or that it's a law. I think they would just do it and not tell anybody. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I do see what you're saying, Matt, to yeah. test the waters of public sentiment. I think there's something to that. Sure. Just scooch the Overton window over a little bit at a time. Um, we, we're going to pause and come to one more message from you, fellow conspiracy realists. Let's end on this, the final twist of this story, which thankfully, again, hasn't happened yet. And maybe maybe it was uh, just a bit of theater to propose this bill. But let's end with a line from Elizabeth Matos, the executive director of Prisoners Legal Services of Massachusetts, a nonprofit group that represents inmates. Matos told ABC News that similar bills have been introduced in the past in other states, and they just happen not to gain traction. But a time See? to be alive. <laughs> See, They're Matt, testing well, the waters, man. Some people agree with you. Uh, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. Uh, everybody, be safe with your organs, and we'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In July 1881, a man walked into a train station, pulled out a gun, and shot the president of the United States. James Garfield's assassination horrified the American people, and they wanted his killer, Charles Guiteau, punished. But Guiteau, many experts believed, was insane. What had seemed like a black and white case was now much grayer. Could the justice system truly deliver justice in a situation like this? 
Guiteau's trial was extraordinary, but not unique. Important trials have always raised questions and made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and I'm exploring the stories of these trials in my new podcast, History on Trial. Every episode will cover a different trial from American history and reveal how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. All of a sudden, he says, Linda, I see a skull. Deep in the heart of the Ozarks, a mysterious disappearance turns into a grisly discovery. Two young women murdered. My name is M. William Phelps. For the past several years, I've been reinvestigating the cases of two young women abducted from their small towns, their bodies dumped deep in the Ozark woods, with a connection to one very familiar name. He chose his own moniker, bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. Cold cases I'm breaking wide open as a heated confrontation with an alleged psychopath ensues. Did you kill those girls? You got all this information. Then why did you ask me if you already knew? Long-held secrets finally revealed, sending authorities rushing to confront a suspect who's been hiding in plain sight for decades. Listen to Paper Ghosts Season 4 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we've returned. We got a message, you guys. We, we put out a call for stories about exercises that happen just before events. And if anyone had taken part in any kind of exercise like that, we got a response from 2Fab. The number two and then Fab, as in fabulous. What, what was that show? Absolutely fabulous? That's Absolutely what it makes fabulous. me think of. Abfab. That's right. Abfab. Uh, I guess we should just jump right into this. Let's just first point out that this story includes... One of our favorite things, guys, political monarchies, because we're going to be talking about a president and a governor of the state who have the same daddy. Oh, so here we okay. <laughs> daddy, daddy, daddy. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. All right. So here we go. Two Fab says, I'm writing in response to your question about participating in a homeland security exercise. Let's just say I've been around and have a lot of friends in a lot of places, especially certain three-letter U.S. government and international government organizations. First of all, too fab. Oh, man. Flex, but also cool. (laughs) 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 Okay, we continue here. In July 2005, the second week of July... There was a, quote, Homeland Security Summit, unquote, in New Orleans. Of course, that city would make world news only two months later. Reach back into your memories about the significance of New Orleans 2005. So let's do that really quickly, guys. Was that what George happened? Bush doesn't care about black people? Was that, uh, that whole thing? Related, related. Yeah, okay. Yes, cool. uh, August 2005. Hurricane Katrina, one of the worst natural disasters to strike the United States in a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the response to that situation, it's become one of the most scrutinized responses to a natural disaster in all of American history. Um, So let's just remember that's where we are. 
And let's also remember that George W. Bush is president at that time, and his brother Jeb Bush is governor of Florida. One of the places that was struck by Hurricane Katrina, but not nearly as badly uh, as New Orleans and parts of Louisiana. So let's jump back in. This is too fab. Anyway, as a part of this summit, there were a lot of desktop exercises. These are also often called tabletop exercises, everybody. Uh, and there were also reviews for disaster preparedness specifically for New Orleans. And again, this is July 2005. Are these t- tabletop exercises like modeling kind of? Yeah. Yes. Almost like 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 playing a game of risk, you know? If then, and and responses for it. And this is, again, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in, when exercises like this came up before. Uh, this is something that you have to do. And mm-hmm. the problem is that Oftentimes, um, in retrospect, it can look a lot like planning to do something instead of just preparing uh, against the possibility. Because sometimes contingencies could be perceived as bad for some groups. Right. right. And well, like in, in the case of New Orleans, it's kind of like predicting a global pandemic. We said there was a pandemic on the way years ago. On this show. And it's not because we had a crystal ball. It's because the numbers were there. And if you look at New Orleans, it's location, it's elevation, then it's kind of a matter of time situation. And that's why people were asking, like, well, what Mm. do we do when a big one hits? (laughs) Exactly. Part of the tabletop exercise is what resources do we have to put in play when something like this occurs? How long does it take for those resources to get to the places Mm. where they need to be? And how, you know, what are all of the things that they can do once they're there, right? And uh, what, what places can people go when they need to take shelter? Uh, what do the levees actually look like and how do, how do we mm. repair those levees? All that kind of stuff. Uh, so let's jump back into two fabs message here. Myself and three of my friends from some of these three letter organizations were shaking our heads and went down for some beers down on Bourbon Street that evening. And we're talking about how there really wasn't any plan for the event. And all they were really evaluating was how do I clean up after the fact? That's mm. horrifying. Right. That's pretty objectively horrifying to think because about. Because the exercise is accepting that the disaster has occurred and then just estimating like the damage control, right? And recuperation process. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is not going to the doctor to see if anything is wrong. It's, oh man, something is really, really wrong. I better go to the emergency room. It's like, yeah, yeah. I like that comparison. It's like walking in and saying, okay, doc. When I get this heart attack, which is definitely happening, (laughs) should I keep eating cheeseburgers? Well, yeah, but the right thing to do is how do I prevent myself from having a heart attack or in this case, having the levees all break and flooding the entire city? Uh, So let's jump back in one more time, guys. We're, We're almost here. How do I clean up after the fact? So that's the end of that sentence. Not how do I evacuate? What communications will I need to bring in temporarily? Uh, etc. This was the expertise I was helping with as an expert for the military. Anyway, we were walking down Bourbon Street and I happened to spy this t-shirt that literally said, Homeland Security, Federal Emergency Evacuation Plan. Run, motherfucker, run! (laughs) (laughs) As in, the only plan is get the hell out of there. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I hope you can bleep that there, Doc. Sorry about that. 
2Fab says, I laughed so hard that I bought the t-shirt for us to give the guy that was running the tabletop, which I did the next day. We all had a hearty laugh at the time, but as you know, it was not very funny later. Oof. Exactly. Thought this was something your listening audience should hear. They did these practices, and all those who were experts told them that they just didn't have a real plan, and it needed a lot of additional work. Way too little attention, way too late. I've noticed that you can't find much about this conference other than it happened. I suppose they are quite a bit embarrassed about this very strange fact. If it had been anything but a hurricane, you might think it was intentional. Oh, now that's a strong ending, too, Fab. Right? That's a really good point. Yeah. If it's a natural disaster like this, it's way less likely that it was a man-made thing, that any Illuminati, it doesn't matter how powerful you are, could have caused that hurricane to form and strike in that particular place, right? I'm not saying it's completely out of the range of possibilities. We just haven't seen any evidence that you can actually form and target any kind of weather patterns. We know about things like cloud seeding and stuff that can affect weather, but not like this. Yeah, weather modification is is a real thing and it is being it has been used for decades and decades and it is being used around the world. But the problem is, uh, according to everything that we can find and prove, this is a very scattershot approach. There's no sophistication. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because weather is all part of a global interrelated system, pulling a string somewhere puts pressure on a string somewhere else. And even now, some of the smartest people in the world aren't quite sure how all the strings connect over time. Exactly. So guys, 2Fab pointed out that if you look for this thing, this exercise that occurred in July 2005, it's very difficult to find information about it. I agree. I found a few things that I thought y'all might find interesting. The first one comes from a little website that's so much fun to find when when you're just typing it out because you kind of just have to it is govinfo.library.unt.edu sexy yeah oh so sexy (laughs) Uh, in there you can find a paper that appears to be it begins at page 59 of something titled a failure of initiative and it runs down not very far uh But anyway, it starts at page 59, and if you scroll down to page 68, you can find one sentence about this exercise. I believe it's about this exercise. It's under the heading U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which is an active duty military unit. I'm just going to read the sentence to you. In July 2005, the district where they're talking about New Orleans... The district sponsored a hurricane preparedness conference for federal, state, and local emergency managers. And that's literally it. That's literally it. It doesn't go into details. That's it. Okay, so... That doesn't sound like a government document to me. (laughs) This is like a report on uh, what a lot of these different organizations did, I guess, in preparedness. Right. So there's also the Mississippi National Guard, what they did, the U.S. Coast Guard, the Alabama National Guard, Louisiana, Louisiana National Guard, the DOD, all kinds of stuff. It's just pointing out this is what they were doing in preparation for these kinds of things. Uh, So there's that. The next thing I found is from a Politico article written by 
a fella named Brownie. Do you guys remember Brownie? That's me. Do you have any recollection? No, No, really. I don't. Uh, Okay. A guy named Michael Brown that used to be a huge part of FEMA back during the George W. Bush presidency. uh, And he was lovingly referred to as Brownie by George W. Bush. Uh, He wrote an article in Politico and it was written in 2015. And it's the title of it is stop blaming me for hurricane Katrina. (laughs) That's literally the title of the article, uh, which is very silly to me, but it does make a lot of sense because he will let, well, I don't know. Tell me what you guys think. I'm going to jump down to when he's talking about this specific exercise. This is Michael Brown writing and speaking. After 9-11, I was concerned FEMA was not ready for genuinely catastrophic disasters, so I asked Congress for funding to study several catastrophic scenarios, including the possibility of a Cat 5 hurricane hitting New Orleans. The tabletop exercise, which we dubbed Hurricane Pam, was held in July 2005, one month before Katrina hit. The results struck fear in everyone involved. Hurricane Pam taught us too late that Louisiana and New Orleans were ill-prepared. The state's emergency manager was under federal indictment, its emergency operations in disarray. This, I'm going to continue a little bit further. The senator asked why, he's, he's speaking with senators as he's being questioned, like, why, what the heck happened, Brownie? The senator asked why. If we knew from the Hurricane Pam exercises in July 2005 that New Orleans and Louisiana were ill-prepared, why we didn't make the necessary changes to policies, procedures, statutes, and funding so that the city and state would be prepared for Katrina in August 2005. Guys, why do you think uh, they were unable to prepare for that, uh, that disaster one month before it occurred? Because we didn't know it was going to occur? Well, it's something we talk about on the show all the time. The machine that is the U.S. government and state governments moves so ridiculously slowly glacial pace uh, and for anybody listening several decades in the future glaciers were these big sheets of ice <laughs> that were around different parts of the world and um for a long time people knew they moved uh, very slowly and somehow the titanic still got sunk by one it took me a glacial amount of time to realize you were explaining what glaciers were <laughs> That was awesome. I know a, gla- a glacier and an iceberg aren't exactly the same thing, but they're they're close. Oh right, ice was this really cool form. Of, no, it was super no. cool. Yeah, it, was really it sure cool. was. It sure was. But this this isn't because I think Matt. Um, just to add on to your point, there also we have to remember that infrastructure funding can be really tough. Oh yeah, it, it's not a sexy thing to run an election on. You know, no, it's not. No, it is not. Oh, and if you do it right, then it's also, there's a higher likelihood that your efforts won't be appreciated because no one will really understand what could have happened, like what happened in Katrina. Everything's been fine for a long time. Why did we spend all this money? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wait, it continues to be fine because we spent all the money. Whoops. Uh, Guys, one last thing I found on this, and then we'll get out of here. And thank you so much to Fab for sending us down this rabbit hole. On Columbia.edu, I found, it's, it looks like some kind of report. It says, Hurricane Pam exercise concludes. Now, you'll remember that Michael Brown there in Politico is stating that 
Hurricane Pam is the name of this test, this tabletop exercise they ran in July 2005. Well, this, this here, this document, guys, says uh, Hurricane Pam exercise concludes, but it says the release date here for this, it looks like some kind of PR message, a press mm-hmm. release. It's dated July 23rd, 2004. Huh. And let me just read the top part of this. This says it's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hurricane Pam brought sustained winds of 120 miles per hour up to 20 inches of rain in parts of southeast Louisiana and storm surge that topped levees in in the New Orleans area. More than 1 million residents evacuated and Hurricane Pam destroyed 500,000 to 600,000 buildings. Emergency officials from 50 parish, state, federal, and volunteer organizations faced this scenario during a five-day exercise held this week at the State Emergency Operations Center in Baton Rouge. So, guys, this is another exercise, also titled Hurricane Pam, that occurred the year before the other Hurricane Pam that was also the same kind of thing, and it was also uh, run by FEMA here, and... Michael Brown was a part of it, at least if this document is to be believed. Maybe they just got the dates wrong, but it does. It is an article that says it was last updated Friday, July 23rd, 2004. Huh. Okay. So curiouser and curiouser. I just don't know because I can't find it anywhere. But listen, listen to this craziness. There is a URL on this thing. That it's got a FEMA.gov address slash mm-hmm. news slash press release, and uh, it's got a date of 1-25-2006. I can't tell you which one of these dates is accurate, or maybe they're all accurate. It was just posted to different places at different times. Is the implication that it was drafted like in advance and it was sort of like held in, in reserve like they do with celebrity obituaries? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I Okay. I that think is maybe possible. I mean, it is possible, but I think Hurricane Pam might just be the title that's used for some of these exercises, maybe. So it might be multiple exercises I see. possible, mm-hmm. maybe, because then you would want to section off the name so you don't use it in other in other iterations. But then also, you know, uh, some people might cynically respond, well, FEMA has been unorganized in the past. Or so it's tough to tell, to- but you did find a heck of a discrepancy, I think. Yeah, I just don't understand it. If, if anyone knows uh, how to untangle that web, uh, send send the answer our way, I guess. Uh, there are yeah. a lot of ways you can find us. Hey, uh, check it out. We're on the internet. That's right. We are indeed on the internet. We're Conspiracy Stuff on uh, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, where we have a group called Here's Where It Gets Crazy. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. And if you don't want to, you know, use the internet, why not just give us a telephone call? You can use one of those rotary guys or, you know, the touch tones. The rumors are true, folks. You can contact us directly on your telephonic device. Dial 1-833-STDWYTK. You will hear a voice hopefully familiar than a ding uh, at that or a beep, however you want to describe it. I was on such a roll. Uh, after that, you'll have three minutes. They're yours. Go nuts. Get weird with it. And we do mean weird. Uh, give yourself a moniker, a nickname, that street name you've always wanted. Most uh, Second most important thing, uh, let us know if we can use your name and or message on the air. First most important thing, do not edit yourself uh if you have something that needs more than three minutes write it out to us send us the links 
Uh, as we said earlier, take us to the edge of the rabbit hole. We will do the rest. All you have to do is drop us a line at our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. From the Scopes Monkey Trial to O.J. Simpson, trials have always made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and my podcast, History on Trial, will explore fascinating trials from American history. Join me in revealing the true story behind the headlines and discover how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is M. William Phelps. For the past several years, I've been reinvestigating the cases of two young women abducted from their small towns, their bodies dumped deep in the Ozark Woods, with a connection to one very familiar name. Find them, torture them, kill them, BTK. Secrets finally revealed, sending authorities rushing to confront a suspect who's been hiding in plain sight for decades. Listen to Paper Ghosts Season 4 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.